welcome to the Owners Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Prue Chapman, and I'm here to help you build a better business. Whether you're just starting out or you're looking to grow your global empire, this is the place for you. My mission here is to inspire and educate a new wave of business owners. Business owners that value purpose and planet equally with profit and projections so that we can truly use business as a force for good. Here, I'll be sharing real-time, real-world strategies that I've learned from mentoring over 15,000 businesses. We'll be covering everything from entrepreneurial mindset and marketing right through to leadership, finances, growing your team, and everything in between. Most importantly, I'll be helping you build the business that's right for you. To get started, download my free guide to starting and scaling your business at theownerscollective.com forward slash start and scale. Welcome back, friends. My guest today is Suzanne Hoy. Now, Suzanne is a business coach on a mission to empower product-based entrepreneurs to build and grow a successful business, focusing on profit first and having the time to enjoy the life they love. Now, a decade ago, Suzanne kicked off her corporate heels working at Adidas, Country Road, Holeproof, Sleepmaker, and many more. And she bought a small bakery business in Byron Bay. Now, if you fast forward to today, that business is turning over millions of dollars her workload has halved and she lives a life that truly lights her fire every single day. So we had the absolute pleasure of having Suzanne come and share her wealth of knowledge at our High End Hustlers Summit here in Byron Bay last month. And trust me, she knows her stuff, guys. You are in for a treat today. So let's get to it. Suzanne, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Prue. Uh, It's an absolute pleasure. And if last month is anything to go by where our members of our High End Hustlers program, they just absolutely hung of every word that you said. I'm sure this podcast <laughs> today is going to be no different, but, you know, no expectations at the same time. No. <laughs> no. Not at all. No pressure. Yeah. No pressure, Suzanne. <laughs> all right. Well, look, I would actually love to kick off with your background because I think it really showcases to our listeners that you are the real deal when it comes to product-based business knowledge. So can you talk us through your experience in the corporate world including sort of where you worked and what your roles in those companies were? Sure. So I started my career as a chartered accountant at KPMG. And then I, uh, so I was in the finance area. So I started off, I think, as a finance manager at Adidas. And then I went to Country Road. And then I went to Pacific Brands. So under Pacific Brands, there was Everlast, King G, um, Holeproof and Sleepmaker. So everywhere along the way, I um, grew in the corporate space and moved up the corporate ladder. So started, obviously, you know, as bottom of the line as a finance manager and ended up as a CFO. So loved it. Like I really, like a lot of people didn't like corporate, but I was there for 20 years and absolutely loved it. It was, um, I just needed a change, really which is why why we left after 20 years. Yeah. That's so impressive. And I did hear you talking at our summit about how, you know, as the CFO of these multi, multi-million dollar companies, you know, you were managing that sometimes on an Excel spreadsheet. I mean, this is some serious, like, knowledge on the ground running product-based companies. Absolutely. So what I find with small um, product-based businesses, they want... Um, technical solutions to everything. And you've got to believe that 
you can do 90% of the work in Shopify and Excel, probably 100% of the work in Shopify and Excel, and you can grow to five, $10 million with those two tools. And so if you've got those nailed, like, you know, you're fine. We ran, you know, added asset $300 million on an Excel spreadsheet. We had our accounting system, but we did the whole business, the whole stock planning, the whole warehousing, everything was on Excel when I started there. So it is definitely possible. Yeah. I love that because you're right. People are always asking for what's the latest technology? What's the system I need in the back end? And systems are so important, but we can see people jumping around from sort of, um, you know, tech system to tech system to tech system. And sometimes just jumping straight back into Excel where you have full control over what you're putting in and adjustments and things like that. It can be so powerful. So something that I've heard you say in the past is that, you know, corporate corporate knowledge is a gold mine. So I'd be really curious to ask, like, what were some of your biggest takeaways for working at companies like Adidas and Country Road? So, so the corporate experience I had is an absolute gold mine and I wouldn't be able to run a successful small business if I didn't have that. Well, I probably could run it, but I wouldn't be as good at it and I wouldn't have been able to get the growth as quickly as we have without that experience. So the main lessons I learned were different in each business. So Adidas was all about continuous improvement. So, and we were allowed to um, constantly make mistakes and we were allowed to try different things. And mistakes weren't bad. You know, I remember my biggest mistake there was I made a $2 million mistake that cost the company $2 million. And I thought I was going to get fired. Yeah, exactly. And I deserve to get fired. And um, the general manager, like we had a serious chat, like, you know, about it. But it was just like, no, he goes, you've learned from this lesson. You'll never make it again. And, um, and I never have, obviously, you know. So, um, so that was the, and the other big thing from Adidas was the management style and culture. Like the two, um, the general manager and the CEO of my time there, like I'm, I still have them as my mentors today. And one of them became like the CEO of a billion-dollar company and he and I still chat, you know. So I can, like I had a, a problem with a client the other day and I just wanted his opinion on it. So, um, you know, we're still really good friends. So... The culture that they built, I have never worked in another company like it. So that's what I learned from them. And then Country Road, I really learned how to be a retailer. So at Adidas, we were mostly wholesale. So at Country Road, I learned how to manage stock and manage events and really sell um, and store layouts, how important all those things are and how... Um, big corporates operate. So from a buying department and a design department. And so when one of my clients now says, I want to get into Mecca, for example, I know exactly how Mecca operate, you know, because I've been in the, you know, in that space. So whereas my client is um, confused about who a planner is and who the um, product manager is, what their roles are, 
Like I can easily explain all that because I've lived in that environment before. So so that was fabulous because that took, you know, what a wholesaler into retailer. And then I went into businesses that owned factories. So whole proof and sleep maker. So now when I negotiate with suppliers, I know how factories work. And I know that they can't switch things on and off. And I know when they give you minimum order quantities, um, how to negotiate around that. So because I know that how to get a win-win for people because I've been on both sides. So, yeah, so they're the, they're the lessons that I've learned. And I so I've taken all those lessons built up into our business. Yeah. And then also obviously into my coaching. Yeah. And created that fast-growing business, both on, um, you know, the both on the bakery side and the coaching side as well. So I guess I'm curious then, because you are one person that says that you loved the corporate life. You know, it sounds like you were very good at what you did. You were very stimulated by what you did, and you were also very cognizant of the lessons that you were learning along the way. So I mean, why did you? Why did you decide to take that leap out of corporate, but also out of the permanent salary, the holiday pay, the superannuation, all the good stuff. Yeah, indeed. Um, So I think after 20 years, we just needed a change. So I had gone from my ideal companies that I wanted to work for in Melbourne and, and I was, and I turned 40 and my husband hated his job and it was very much like, what's next? And one of the headhunters said to me, if you wanted to do your own thing, now would be the perfect time and you've got five years because then if you come back in your mid-40s, you'll be highly marketable because you've got 20 years corporate, run your own show for five years, you could get any job you like. And he said, but if you leave it much longer, you, you, know, you won't be able to do that. So I think it was a combination of a bit bored And we just didn't want to do the same thing for the next 20 years. And it was just good timing. So we'd already brought our house up in Byron Bay a few years previous. And we were sort of just like, let's just swap houses and let's just see if it works. If it works, it's fabulous. And if it doesn't, the only thing we've lost is a bit of money and we can make that again. So even though I don't like to lose money, but that if that's the worst case, um, we can, you know, we definitely get by. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so you took the leap, moved to Byron. Did Where did Soul Breads come in? Uh, so Soul Breads, so we looked for, Soul Breads already existed. We knew we didn't want to start a business from absolute scratch. Um, so we simply Googled businesses for sale in Byron Bay and you know, everything that came up was a hospitality business and which we didn't, and we had a criteria and the criteria was things like we we were happy to work together, but not together in a shop or something 24-7. We needed to be able to grow it. We needed to use our separate skills, um, but we wanted to make it into like, you know, a much more profitable business. We didn't want it just to be Byron Bay based. Um, and it had to earn a certain amount of money. So we went through that and then Soul Breads came up 
and being from Melbourne, I had no idea what soul breads was. And I rang a girlfriend that worked here and I said, you know, what is it? And she goes, yes, yes, buy it. It's fabulous. <laughs> and we were already in that um, organic space. We loved the organic living um, sort of lifestyle. So it matched our ethics. And, yeah, so we came up and met the current owners and it was tiny. It was one one man and one part-timer and that was it. Yeah. So we just sort of thought this is perfect. Mark and I could do our own separate sort of things and we could definitely grow this because we were quite passionate about it. So, yeah, so we just thought we'll give it a crack. And you did. And what was that shift like going from working in businesses to then stepping into your own small business and kind of working in the business and on the business at the same time? So that was a lot harder than we thought, (laughs) well, than I thought, that was for sure. Um, The hard things for me were um, working with my husband. That was actually a lot harder than I thought. Um, And then moving to Byron from from Melbourne, so we didn't have any friends, you know, or family here. Um, And one of the big things was we didn't have any staff. So... um, and we didn't have any money to afford it, you know. So we went from, you know, corporate salary of 300 plus down to 30 grand. And we were like, okay, this we know this is only short term and it had to be short term to, <laughs> you know, to, to um, pay our bills. Um, but not having any staff to help me. So I had all these grand plans of fixing it. Because in my corporate career in the last 10 years, I was sort of known as someone that would go into a business that wasn't performing and fix it and make it perform. So um, I would identify lots of things that needed to be done and then I'd get a team in to help implement it quickly. So I was ready to do that in Soulbreds and I had the big list of everything we had to do, but there was Mark and I. And (laughs) (laughs) And we were already working our butts off and it was just, we were fighting like cat and dog and it was just, you know, working 80 hours a week and we were just tired and, you know, just, oh, my God, what have we done? And, um, yeah, and I just remember, you know, sitting in my office one day and Mark's like, oh, my God, are we going to break up? And I'm like, we did not come to Byron Bay to break up, you know. Like, <laughs> we'll, we will make this work. <laughs> and, um, and so we did, yeah. And what did you do to make it work? Because I feel like right now every small business owner listening is like, yes, 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 like tired, cranky, at my wit's end. Yeah, I've I've got the big plans too, but I don't have the staff either. So, I mean, what did you you do? So I I had a list of all the priorities of that I wanted to do. So we wanted to sell into a lot more distribution. So we wanted to sell into all... For us, it was health food shops, um, small supermarkets, and and then ideally big supermarkets. Then we wanted to sell into cafes. Then we wanted to broaden our distribution, so not just local, you know, Byron, for example, Lismore, Ballina, whatever. We wanted to grow in Queensland and then North Queensland. So I had all that list, and then we also had on 
the list of big things like exporting and and international. So, and then I looked at all those things and I was like, okay, I'm working 80 hours a week. I, I can't fit anything in and we're earning $30,000. So I did a time tracker of what I spent all my time on. And then I identified, is that making money on my bottom line? And it was like anything that did not make any difference to my bottom line and wasn't something that I legally had to do, you know, like your bass or whatever, got culled. So everything, so probably half of the things that I was doing, which were nice and I liked, I thought I needed to do, was I can't do it if I need to grow. So first of all, I got rid of all those things, so I went down to 40 hours. And then, and then I'll, like, we don't have kids and business is my baby. So I was happy to do, you know, more hours to get it going. So then I was like, okay, now I've freed up 20 hours to actually grow the business. So then I listed my priorities and some of the priorities go after another. So I listed them in, we start with the health food shops, that'll lead us into the super, the small supermarkets, that'll lead us into the big supermarkets. And at the same time as I'm doing that, Mark can go around and visit all the cafes in an area. So we would target, because if we were driving past delivering to someone, say we were doing Byron and we're delivering to supermarkets, he's driven past 10 cafes. So let's attack those approach, I should say. Let's approach those cafes first, you know. Um, and we, were no, we had no idea how to do that. Like I remember we turned up to our first one together and and we had 40 samples because we looked on their website and they had sourdough and buns and all these different things. And as soon as we showed the chef, the chef came out, we'd never spoken to a chef in our life, and we showed them these 40 products and they were, they were just like, oh, my God, that's too many. And we were like, well, but, but these are everything we've got. We want to tell you everything. And it was just like, no, nah, too many. So we learnt that um, find out up front what they really need and what they use things for and then recommend one. So after that, the next few customers we'd go into would show six things max and we'd always win those businesses. So whereas the 40 we never won, we had to work on him for two years, the ones that we went into with his three or four and these are the solution to your problem because of X, Y and Z, um, so we came across as experts, we always won them. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, so it was all about prioritising our list and and focusing on one thing at a time. So instead of my head going, okay, now I want to get into Woolworths and then I want to get into um, Brisbane and then I wanted to get into Noosa, it was very much... Um, okay, let's just focus on this thing, do everything in this thing first. Once we've got that thing, then we'll go to the next thing. And it was very much blinkers on. Yeah, because there's only one of you. Yeah. 
This is such sage advice that I hope all our listeners are pulling out of this story. Like number one, to do the time tracker exercise. I think that is so smart and such a powerful takeaway for everyone here is like, I mean, they're just, that is the curse of small business is there is just so much to do, but actually having a look at what effect is this having on my bottom line? Because there's plenty of fun stuff that we like to do or stuff that just kind of takes up time. But if it's not having an impact, then get rid of it because it's taking you away from something that can have massive impact in your business and driving you towards that goal that you want to go. But also prioritizing things. You can do it all. You can't do it all at once. Um, And also something I love that you said there was being easy to buy from. I think, you know, when we're so excited about our own businesses and we have all the products or all the services, we want to tell the customers or the potential customers all about all the things. It's like, actually, all that they're looking for is a solution to their problem. And it's a good business owner that can tell them, this is the one thing that I have that will solve your problem. Yeah, absolutely. And it took us probably three customers to learn that. Because when you walk into a place and they glaze over, you're like, okay, I've lost them. And just how we sold our story. So when we would go into a health food shop, we would, the big thing for them was certified organic. So, and which we are, so that was our selling point. A chef, we, when we originally started, we would go in with, oh, we're certified organic because we thought that was our point of difference. For them, they didn't give a rat's about certified organic. You know, they they don't want, you know, um, to pay the extra dollar. You know, they would rather it just cheaper. So we would go in and say, yes, we're organic, certified they didn't care, and we would talk more about why this actual product is the best thing for their, you know, pulled pork roll and what the price was. Um, or the loaf of bread, how many serves they get. So we had to adjust our selling story for who we were selling to. Mm. Again, such sage advice. And so I imagine that, you know, this having this incredible corporate background, but then having this really tangible on the ground experience, product-based business experience, because you and I, I know that we think along the same lines on this one, but you just, experience is everything. You know, you really have to, you have to walk through it to, to understand it, to have experienced it, to fight your way out of the brown paper bag, to really know it and understand it and to be able to teach it. So then as you've moved into coaching small businesses, um, those product-based businesses, what are some of the biggest mistakes and challenges that you see them going through? So the biggest thing I saw from small businesses, like, and most of the small businesses were my customers. I saw that people had fantastic products and they had great passion for their products, but they didn't know how to run a business. They didn't know how to put all the pieces together. And even though in my corporate um, life I wasn't selling and I wasn't the brand manager, but I knew how all the pieces fit together. And I'd worked for 20 years with those sorts of people, so I learned so much about it. So... When I saw a business, like we, I could spot a business that was in trouble from a mile away and I could spot why they were. But obviously if they're a customer of mine, I couldn't tell them how to fix their problem because they would be like, who's this girl? She's just selling bread. So then I, 
I just decided to coach people and I sort of started doing it several years ago just with people that would ask, you know, friends. And then it was sort of like, okay, I need to make this into a business because people really need a hand. And during COVID, um, I have a great staff member that wanted to do more, so she took more off me. And so um, I started coaching more. So the biggest problems that I see with people is they put their head in the sand with their numbers. Mm. So True, so true. Mm, so people will look at their Shopify, what they sell, and um, they'll look at their bank balance, but that's it. So they'll think that they just have to sell more and they'll make more. But they haven't necessarily costed their products properly. So they could sell a million dollars but still only make $10,000 at the end of the day. But they don't know that. Or they could um, have outsourced absolutely everything because they they just want to do product development. So they don't realise that to pay for those staff, they have to sell $2 million just to break even. So... Um, so the big things are knowing their numbers and pricing their products and how much do they actually have to sell to make the profit that they want to make. So when I sit with clients now and the first thing we do is go through a P&L, they, some of them will say, this is the first time I've looked at this and they could have been in business for three years. And so I'll say, okay, before we even try to sell anything else, we need to fix up your stock, you know, like they could be a highly profitable business, but they got no cash because they're sitting on three years of stock. And they're like, am I? I knew I had a lot, you know, so, but if you did your numbers, you would know that. So that's the biggest thing that I see people not doing their numbers and not understanding branding. So they'll just sell something. So they'll just become a commodity. So they're not building their actual brand. Mm. Two really, really good ones right there. And I'm sure many of our listeners at the moment um, probably thinking that you're speaking to them directly, Suzanne, on the numbers, (laughs) putting their head in the sand around the numbers. There are some really crucial steps in between. I remember an old client of mine actually saying to me, you know, that true empowerment in her business was understanding her numbers. And I think that that is so, so true. It's like until you until you really dive in there and understand where, where every dollar is coming and going in your business and, yeah, where, where it's going and, and what needs to change around, when you really understand those levers and are able to adjust them, then you have a shot at growing a really profitable, sustainable business. Absolutely. And that doesn't mean that you have to become a qualified accountant. That doesn't mean you have to do a business degree. It just means, because look, the clients I have are fantastic entrepreneurs. Um, they just need it explained in layman's terms. And what, and they 100%, most entrepreneurs understand numbers, but they're scared of looking at P&Ls and that sort of thing. But they gut feel is they get it. They just don't know how to put it together. So um, when I do that for them, then they are abs- they are given this confidence and they are just empowered to go forward. And it's 
fantastic to see because it's like something that's so simple to me because I've been doing it for 30 years um, and I can teach them and it is like it's fabulous when they get that confidence. And then, look, I've got a client that um, sells a product. He works in Sydney and he has struggled for uh, six months to make any cash. And at the start, he didn't have a look at a P&L. He didn't know how to cost his products. He didn't know any of that. He didn't know how to calculate GST or anything. And then the other day we were talking about um, him exporting because he's doing really well. And he just came back at me with all these, I've done my margins, I've done my cash flow, I've done this, I've done that. And I was just like so proud of him because he was a guy that was so scared of it. And six months later, he's totally owning it and going, okay, this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to go forward. And it was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Uh, I love that story and I couldn't agree with you more. I think entrepreneurs are very capable people and I think they're just maybe people don't like looking like they don't know something. However, it's just, I mean, it's like riding a bike, right? Like you, there, there has to be a, a stage where you have to put up your hands and say, I don't know how to ride the bike, but I'd like to learn how to ride the bike. And then you get some help and some guidance on how to ride the bike. And understanding your numbers is exactly the same thing. So for anyone listening, I just really encourage you, like if there's any part of your business that you don't understand, like it's totally okay. Um, very few, I mean, I could say 99% of members that I've ever worked with don't have any formal education in business and they're running creative businesses. And I like to say like they are 50-50, listen, creative and business. So you might be awesome at all the creative stuff and creating the product or creating the service. You also need to have some business knowledge. And that's what we're talking about here. So be willing to put up your hand and say, I don't know, but I'm willing to learn and I'm a fast learner. And everyone's been at that stage at some point. No one, not one person on the face of the planet was born understanding a P&L statement. No. Um, it's something that we all have to learn in some, in some no. form. So, yeah, do be, be willing to learn. Now, um, Suzanne, you actually have a wonderful model which um, you shared with um, some of our high-end hustlers recently and they just absolutely loved it, these essential steps for scaling a product-based business. So I was hoping that you might um, share very generously share with our listeners that kind of top-level approach that you do look to um, for, for scaling businesses successfully, product-based businesses. Sure. So the first thing you have to look at is your brand and your product. And most entrepreneurs um, have a great product, but they don't necessarily have fabulous branding that goes with that. So by the branding, I don't just mean your logo. I mean, who's your target customer? Who, what is your tone of voice? What's your point of difference? So really nailing that whole thing and having a brand that can grow. So today you might sell, um, oh, Okay, shirts. So you don't want to be called Suzanne Shirts, right? Because then you can't go into pants and jackets and whatever. So you have to have a name and a brand that can grow. So um, Soul Breads, we were originally called um, Soul Sourdoughs and we had to get rid of the sourdoughs because we were like, okay, we've got gluten freeze and other stuff now. So then we just went to Soul Breads, you know, so we quickly got rid of that name. So just be careful of that when you start. So once you've got your brand and your product, then you have your financial plan. And you might say, I want to earn $200,000 for the year. So start with your profit first 
and then work backwards into how much you need to sell at what price and what margin. And and then number three is price your product. So price your product for um, retail but also wholesale. So you might be selling at the moment online and your prices might be fine for that. You have to be able to sell wholesale if you want your business to grow. So you might not want to in the first three, five years, but if you want to get past that few million dollar ceiling, you need other people's help, which is wholesalers, to get your brand message out. Then after you've got your, um, you know, your product, you know, your brand, you know how much you have to sell and you've got the pricing all set up, you need to make it. And to make it, you need to get a really good supplier and you need to understand your minimum orders. So that is quite a crucial part in small business. Um, And often what will happen is you might have a supplier that will say you need to have your minimum order quantity is 10,000 and that might be packaging as well as product. So then I encourage everyone, especially when you're starting out, to negotiate smaller um, orders and you will have to pay more. But you have to test your market first. You have to see if your packaging and your product will work before you waste $10,000, dollars $100,000. So um, really understand, really working with your supplier and as you grow, get more than one supplier because otherwise um, if they put their price up, you've got nowhere to go. But when you're starting, you know, you really just take anyone that's going to make your product because it's, you know, it's hard. Um, then the next thing is once you've got it made, you have to sell it. So that's where most of us spend most of our time. So, you know, we're s- selling it in different avenues and we're doing different promotions to sell it. And there's a thousand things you can do within that space. And I would say that we probably spend 60% of our time doing that. Then we get paid and you have to manage your cash flow because if you don't get paid, um, doesn't matter how good your product is, if your customers aren't paying, you will run out of cash very, very quickly. And your P&L could look fabulous, but if you're not getting paid on time, you won't have enough money to buy the next batch. Then you have to build brand awareness. So by that I mean um, not just having a sale, you know, not just going 10% off, oh, I'm not selling enough, let's do a buy one, get one free. It's spending the time and energy and you don't get a return straight away, but it's, um, you know, giving away samples. It's going to trade shows. It's... Um, doing collaborations with people, it's going on podcasts, it's doing tastings in a supermarket. It's um, all those things that you don't necessarily get a return for straight away, but you're getting your brand out there. And to, and they say that you have your brand has to be seen seven times before it will even stick in someone's brain. So if someone sees, you know, soul breads, at an IGA, if they see it in the local paper, if they see it in, you know, a cafe, if they see it in all these different places, 
then they'll say, oh, I've seen that before somewhere. What's that yellow brand? And then they'll buy it. They don't just necessarily buy it just because it's there. And obviously with a lot of businesses online, it's all your ads. It's all your Google ads. It's all your um, social ads. And the ads don't have to be buy this, buy that. It's building your brand. Who do you stand for? So that is a massive part that people miss out on. So I've got customers or clients at the moment that have built, you know, a million to a million and a half business and doing really well. She wants to become a $10 million business. She will not become a $10 million business without the brand awareness. And at the moment, she is very much um, just does a promotion, gets a sale, does a promotion, gets a sale. She hasn't built her brand awareness up. So that's her focus. Yeah. So you might be happy on the million dollars, you know, earning $150,000 a year. So if that's your caper, stay, like don't waste all your time in brand awareness, but just be aware that someone can come in who is building their brand and they'll overtake you. And then after you've done that, you have to review your range. Every product has a product life cycle and every product builds up, it's got momentum, then it hits a peak and then it'll die off. So then it's your job to identify where that peak is and to have the second product ready to go. So we have had some, and that can be a simple adjustment. Like, you know, we had everything when we started was unsliced. And I know this sounds really simple, but unsliced became a little bit untrendy. So then we went to sliced. Unsliced is now, um, sliced is becoming a little bit untrendy. So we go back to unsliced. So it's identifying where your market is and what's the next product. Don't just say, this is how we do it, you know. And everything in every industry goes through the same cycle. It's just different period. Um, so then that's it. So may, the main part that you have to do is you have to, you make it, you sell it, you build brand awareness. You make it, you sell it, you build brand awareness. And then you just keep going on that cycle and then you range review, then you do your P&L again, but you get you. I would say 60% of your time is the make it, sell it, build brand awareness. And then the other 40% is divided between your financials, your pricing and your range review. Because once you've set your pricing, you don't have to change that you know, every day, obviously. Um, and same as range review. We do them probably, you know, every six months, maybe once a year. You know, some products we don't do it for two years. So it's not something that needs to be done all the time, but you need to be aware of it. Yeah. Mm. Oh, so it's so simple. <laughs> well, I think there's a lot of moving parts to it, but I love how you simply, how simply you do break it down into that sort of, into those steps that you have. Um, and also that your steps, like they're very logical steps as well. And I think people can, you know, really when they start a business, they can go straight to the making and selling. Um, 
and just kind of they can almost get trapped in the little vortex there of making and selling, making and selling, making and selling without properly paying attention to, you know, to the brand, to the pricing, to the financials, um, to the, you know, to the, the collecting of the money. That's a really important part as well, um, you know, and the review as well. So I do love that you put it um, into that, into that um, I, I like to call it a wheel because I've seen you present it as a wheel. And I think it can just, when there is so much going on in a small business, actually seeing a little formula like that of some key stages to focus on really can simplify, you know, where where our listeners might be at and also what they need to focus on or have they skipped a step that they need to go back and dive into that step, um, you know, to get a bit more clarity on that, that will then give them the opportunity to scale because that kind of make, sell, make, sell, make, sell isn't quite typically, I shouldn't say not always, but quite typically, uh, it's, well, I can actually say wholeheartedly, it's not the best way to scale. I won't say that businesses don't always scale like that, but there's a much smarter way to do it that's going to make a lot more sense. Absolutely. And it shortens the time frame. So if you do the the foundation, so the steps, you know, one to three, so the brand and the product, the finances and the pricing, if you do those foundations first and then get into the making, because you can't go to a supplier and say, can you please make this loaf of bread, right, unless you know how much you want to sell it for and how much you can afford to pay him. But lots of places go to a supplier and say, um, I've got this fantastic surfboard, can you make it for me? And it's like, how much do you, you know, what's your cost that you set at? Oh, I don't know, you just tell me how much it's going to cost. Well, no, that's not how it works. You know that, um, you know, like I, we've had bakers in the past, I've said we need, you know, gluten-free banana cake and I need to sell it for $12.00. So that means I need to pay for it, you know, $10 or $9. And they'll come back to me and they'll say, we've made the world's greatest banana cake and it's $25. I go, great, that's fabulous. So now I need to sell it for $50. Like <laughs> No one's going to pay that, you know. So you need to do those steps before you even waste time and effort into the making. So, so. That's why you need to do those first before you go into the making. And then once you've made it and you know that it's going to cost you $10 and you're going to sell it for $20 that you're going to make money. And then you go and sell it confidently and you know you have to sell a thousand widgets to make the profit that you want. And that's how the wheel goes around. Mm. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about true empowerment in your business is knowing each of these levers that you need to adjust to actually be able to make a big difference that impacts the bottom line and the scalability of your business. So listeners, I did tell you that there was going to be an incredible amount of value coming out here. And you can just see that Suzanne is an absolute wealth of knowledge when it comes to product-based businesses. So um, Suzanne, I'd love for you to let our listeners know how can they best, I mean, follow along, or get in touch with you to connect to hear more of your juicy wisdom? So the best place is my Instagram. So it's just Suzanne Hoy. So that's, I'm quite active on there. I go through spad, you know, ups and downs, but most of the time I'm quite active on there. So if you want to send me a DM on there, that's easy. Um, or my my website is the same, Suzanne Hoy. 
or my email is just hello at Suzanne Hoyne. So um, quite simple. I'm just Suzanne Hoyne everywhere. <laughs> In all the places. I love the simplicity of it. And Hoyne is H-O-Y-N-E, listeners. And I would highly recommend that you jump on um, onto Instagram and follow along with Suzanne because, I mean, even I, she is one of the people that I pause and listen to when I see her pop up on Insta stories um, because she is always just there delivering an incredible amount of value um, and always worth listening to. So, yeah, I would jump all over that. Suzanne, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast today. It's been an absolute treat and I know our listeners are just going to love it. My pleasure, my pleasure. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in. And if you never want to miss an episode, be sure to subscribe over on Apple Podcasts. I'm also dropping some juicy business building tips on Instagram. So head over to at Owners Collective to join in the fun. And finally, folks, if you're hungry for a deep dive into the entrepreneurial story behind some of the best businesses around, be sure to listen to my other podcast, One Wild Ride, where we talk all things good business, positive impact, and epic adventures with the most inspiring entrepreneurs around.